welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Now, those of you who are younger may or may not know this, but until the 20th century and even for a fair long way through it, For most people, church bells were the major means to tell the times, tell the times of day, and also tell the seasons as well. So, you know, if you, almost nobody had a clock or a watch. So if you were out and about in the day, or even if you were at home, the only way you actually knew what the time was, was because the the bells at the big church rang, they rang the hour and then quarter past, half past, quarter two and um, and then the hour again. So you always knew what the time was because of that. Not only that, but you but when there was a different season like Christmas, then the bells pealed out really joyously right over the whole town or the whole city to let people know that this was Christmas and the glad news that a Saviour has been born who is Christ the Lord. And so everyone in that land would know that Christmas Day had arrived. The kids would wake up, they would hear all that and they'd they'd know what Christmas was here. Now I'm going to play a song that comes out of the struggle between the, the... the contrast really between the joyous news of a saviour being born and the reality that this particular writer was living in and which we also are living in right now. So Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was um, one of America's preeminent poets, one of the most famous poets that they had. And he had um, he was married and his wife died in childbirth. He loved her dearly and so her loss was great. But eventually he married again and he loved his second wife very dearly as well. And when they'd been married 18 years, her dress caught fire, which was very common to happen in those days. Her dress caught fire while she was dressing their little girl and she was killed. He tried to he tried to save her life, but he was unable to do that. And in that same time period, his son had left that they lived in the north, north in the northern part of America, but his son had left home without speaking to his dad and he had gone and joined the Union Army to fight for the freedom of enslaved people, to to fight against the Confederate Army. And while he was there, he was wounded and so he'd come back home deeply wounded and his dad was trying to look after him and his dad's struggling with all of this grief and then it was Christmas Day and he hears the bells pealing out this joyous news that a saviour has been born today and the saviour is Christ the Lord and he's in the middle of all this turmoil not only grief of his own family but also the grief of the fact that they're in the middle of a civil war where brother is fighting against brother and so He's struggling to balance his faith in Christ, which was real, with the horror that his nation was living through. And he wrote this poem, which is now sung here by Casting Crowns. And I'd like you to listen to it. I specifically chose a um, a version that's got the, the words on it so that you can grasp what it is that he was saying and what he was wrestling with. bells on 
Christmas Day They're all familiar carols play And mild and sweet their songs repeat Of peace on earth, goodwill to men And the bells are
there's a a brokenness. We're in such a broken state. And it it stands in stark juxtaposition between like the glittering um, nativity scenes and all the lights and everything that we're seeing, you know, in the supermarkets and in our own homes. And then, you know, back we're also looking at the news and and feeling overwhelmed by the things that we're seeing in the news. But being in a relationship with Jesus Christ can put us in a different place if we will let it. And I say if we will let it because it's possible to mentally agree with our Christian belief system without being changed by it. But growing as a Christian means changing. And if I'm not growing, I'm not changing. And if I'm not changing, all the world gets from me is some religious person whose words don't match up with the way that they live. And therein lies the the rub of the pain that the earth is in, all the wars, all the shunning of other people. That's where we decide that we can make a judgment about who can be a follower of Jesus Christ and who can't who can be baptised and who cannot be baptised, all those judgments that we make, whose side we're on or whose side we're not on, those judgments make it clear that while we celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate the Christ whose sacrifice was made so that anyone could come to him. He never told us that it was our role to set a criterion for who could be counted as a believer, as a Christ follower or not. He only asked us to make disciples who would follow him and if we did that, he would build his church. Now, have a look at Matthew chapter um, 7 verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, sorry, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, Before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. And just so you know, back in the day, if you were engaged, they called you husband and wife even though you hadn't moved in together yet, right? So because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. And this is the relevant part. Look, A virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. They will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and he took Mary as his wife. Emmanuel, God with us. Over the years, the word Emmanuel has become really precious to me, really important. About nine years ago, my husband was diagnosed with um, terminal cancer and he was given four months to live. And then one particular doctor said, look, um, we'll we'll have a go at this operation. They were going to remove his stomach and we'll have a go at this operation and we'll just see what happens, which was a great thing because it gave him three more years of life. But At the time, 
I remember just, it was all so, he might not have even come through the operation. And I remember I just had this word, Emmanuel, going over and over in my head, God is with us. And so I had it tattooed on my wrist so that whenever I looked down, I would remember that God is with us and I'd be able to look back up and look out again. And I'm a word person, right? So words are very important to me. And I needed to see that word every time I looked down, right? For me to understand that God is with the people who are made in his image. And there has never lived a person who is not made in the image of God. No person ever has not been made in the image of God. And yes, we have marred that image. We've trodden on it. We've cut it and we've shot it and we've humiliated it and bruised it and we've got it addicted and we've destroyed it, we've blown it to smithereens. Over the years, over the centuries, we've killed the image of God in ourselves and in others countless millions of times. And the awful thing about it is so many of those times it's been done in the name of the God who came to us, who is with us, who loves us, who gave his entire self for all of us, not just some of us. I recently saw a quote that encapsulate everything for me about the God who was with it, with us. And it's from a, a, a guy called Munter Isaac, and he's a Palestinian Lutheran pastor, and he's also the academic dean of the Bethlehem Bible College. And the quote is this, where is God? You know, when we are trying to work out about all the bad things that happen in our world and we're trying to understand over and over again, we might ask it of ourselves or people ask us because they know we're Christian and they say, where is God? Where's God in all of this? And this guy who lives right there in Bethlehem, he says, God's under the rubble. God's under the rubble. He's not in the war room with all the generals and the presidents, God came to us. God came to all of us. And when he came, he came so that anyone could become his. Not anyone who lives in a certain way. Not anyone who fulfills certain criteria. Anyone could come to him. And so initially from the whole world, everybody that was around, he narrowed it down to the descendants of Abraham. And that was a type of what he was going to do in the future because the descendants of Abraham became a chosen uh, chosen people. And so in the same way as um, back in the day, they used to sacrifice sheep and bulls and goats and all the rest of it for their sin, there was also a, cho a specific chosen people that God uh, had and related to. But when Jesus died on the cross, in the same way that, that those sacrifices of animals were dissolved forever because Jesus is a sacrifice once and for all, it also became possible that any one could become one of his chosen people. In Revelation chapter 7, it says, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, we who once were not the people of God are now the people of God. So there's no special elite task force of unblemished men from the right tribe who can go into the presence of God and represent us. 
No, there's no need for that anymore because we are a kingdom of priests to serve our God. There's no longer a necessity to get a dove or a bull or a goat and sacrifice it for our sins because there is one sacrifice and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous, who was sacrificed once and for all. And there's no longer one race of people who are more special than the rest because when Jesus came, he came for all of us. John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever with qualifications and disqualifications, but just whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn specific sins. He came to deal with sin. He came... He came to save us from the condemnation of our sin. So the validation of our place as God's chosen people within the church comes not through birth or race or gender, but through the life of Jesus Christ laid down for all of us. So every single person is made in his image. Yes, we're mutilated and we're flawed. We're full of brokenness, but God became one of us so that he could be with us. And that makes me marvel that somehow we feel like we've got the right to make decisions about who fits the criteria of that, about who is welcome and who is not acceptable among the all that God so loved. And the lines that we draw to establish who is of God and who is chosen, you know, because we can't connect with why they think that way or why they feel like that, I think we're going to be astonished about who turns up in heaven with us. And some of them are going to be way up there in the front rows and maybe we'll be sort of in the middle somewhere or up toward the back because when Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last, we just look at that and think, I don't understand that so I'm not even going to think about it. But but we have to understand that when God is with us, he's with us in the rubble. When he's with us in the times of war and horror, he's under the rubble. He's under the rubble in every nation that's being destroyed by another people group or by climate crisis or by or by debt or by enslavement or by any other thing that is happening. He's not for the victim and against the oppressor. He's with the whosoever will call on him. And do you know how I know that? Because I read it in the Bible that the millions of Jews had finally escaped from slavery. Now, they were the the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So as far as the Old Testament was concerned, they were God's chosen people. They were specific. And they get through through their 40 years in the wilderness and they're about to go into their first challenge. And and I look, I saw, I look at this. This is just amazing. Joshua, he's their leader. And they're about to have the biggest challenge that they've had since they left slavery. And he's gone for a walk by himself, like you would if you were responsible for those millions of people. And he, he's just walking, he's just walking and he's thinking and he's probably praying and saying, God, you know. And then all of a sudden he sees this mighty man in front of him, this mighty angel. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and said, What 
we all want to say? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua fell face down in reverence and asked him, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, it's common for believers to think that God's on their side against the other people. It's common for us to decide whoever our God is, that he's on our side and he's not on your side. Does anybody here remember the 1960s? Just a few hands. Just a, You don't. No, you, you really can't. Um, anyway, does anybody know who Bob Dylan is? Bob Dylan was a great poet, but he had a pretty bad voice. However, we loved him. And he wrote a song at that time, which I won't go into the whole thing, but he the name of the song was With God on Our Side. And he's just talking about all the wars, the wars when when they the British went, and not just the British, the Spanish and a whole lot of other people went into the Americas and slaughtered the Indigenous people there and then, you know, the Civil War and World War One and World War Two, and he, he's got a verse about a whole lot of wars. And then he says, the reason for fighting I never did get, but I learned to accept it, accept it with pride, for you don't count the dead when God's on your side. You know, I normally just spend a couple of weeks thinking about what I'm going to preach and gradually bringing it together. And so I had it pretty well together but I was still yesterday I was still just mulling it over and just talking to the Lord about it and I had this revelation which was just blew my socks up I was just amazed with it because God with us does not translate can never translate to be God is on our side can never translate God with us is God on our side? It those that does not equate. In World War One, the very beginning of it, in 1914, I'm so blessed the fact that um, Stu sang Silent Night tonight. It was 1914. It was Christmas Eve. British soldiers and the German soldiers were less than a hundred meters apart in their in their trenches, and I had to. I had to ask somebody else about this, but 100 metres is about like from the back of the building down to the end of the car park. So they were less than that apart from each other, probably about 80 metres. And it was a beautiful night. It was cold. It was freezing. There must have been freezing. And it had been snowing. And so the ground was all white. And there's no natural light around. So the stars just shone so beautifully like they were just amazing in the sky overhead and and while they were while it was there just in the middle of the evening the middle of the night one of the german soldiers began to sing silent night and as he began to sing the other soldiers the brits and the germans they took up the refrain and they all were singing silent night and that broke something through for a few hours overnight and into some hours of the following day. And the Germans and the British 
actually up and down the line. It wasn't just in that one place but up and down the line. They got up and they crossed that no man's land and they spoke to each other and some gave gifts of cigarettes or or um, food. They played football. Some of them played football in no man's land. They, they talked to each other because it was Christmas Day and it was such an amazing, an amazing time and it lasted. And I feel like that's where Joshua was told by the angel of the Lord, I'm not on either of your side, but take your shoes off because this is holy ground. And I think those soldiers, they took their shoes off and they, they looked at the other person and they saw the image of God. They saw this person is the image of God. It was the German soldiers that started the song, but the English knew it too. They all felt God was on their side and that lasted for hours until they had to start shooting each other again. But I feel like that was, that was take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. That was God is doing something and if you can see it, you can see it. We so badly want to think that God with us means God's on our side and he's not on your side. But Emmanuel is about our hearts. Emmanuel is about opening our hearts to understand when we convert God with us to being God on our side, we lose the meaning of Christmas. We've got no concept of the Christ joining us under the rubble of our lives. And so the feeble, toxic, pride-filled prejudices and implacable, merciless opinions that are surging through our world today are hostile to the very purpose of Christmas, the God who came to be with all of us. And when Christians begin to propagate those beliefs, we stand against everything that Jesus came to do. And I'm not talking about not standing against injustice. I'm not saying that because we do have to stand against injustice. But we can disagree with somebody without making them the enemy. We can stand in that holy ground place where the British and the English, where the British and the Germans stood together on holy ground, able to relate with the image of God in each other. And so I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. With all those battles that we're seeing being fought all across the world now, and there's about 30 different wars taking place in the world right now, those people don't have to agree with each other. But God isn't on one side and against the other side because when Jesus Christ came as Emmanuel, he came to change everything that we understand about who God is and how he sees us as his people. And so Jesus came to reconcile every person to God and that's our role too. And he didn't start by telling anybody what was wrong with them except the religious elite. They're the only people he did that because Jesus knew personally what it was to be a member of a poor and marginalised group. And we go out, we see our perfect nativity scenes in our houses. They're glittering in homes and shopping centres. It's a very far cry from the stench 
and the poverty of the place that Jesus was born. Our Saviour was an illegitimate refugee who had to flee to Egypt to save his life. We sing with the poor and mean and lowly, lived on earth, our Saviour holy. But really the Western church is wealthy and complacent and highly opinionated about who can belong and who cannot belong. And what we don't realise as Westerners is that three quarters of the Church of Jesus Christ is in developing countries and in countries that are um, persecuted. And there are people in those countries that are laying their lives down for the sake of Jesus Christ. They are dying and they are being killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. But we think Christianity is about the nativity up there in Westfield. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. I don't know whether you follow the news, but Iran's a pretty difficult place to live in right now. And you know what? The second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan. And you know who's reaching the Afghanis? The Iranis. In the midst of the war and the horror and the rape and the cruelty and the death, they've learned to take on board Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, the God who's with us in the midst of all this horror, the Emmanuel who doesn't live in the political arenas where ambitious men struggle to be the top dog and where it really boils down to be who can urinate the furthest. God's under the rubble. God's under the rubble with the victims. He's under the rubble with the broken because that's who he came for. Fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Terrorists are afraid. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Jesus repeatedly said, don't be afraid. He doesn't mean don't be scared because we all get scared of things. That's not what he means. He says, don't let fear rule you and make you retaliate and defend your life and your lifestyle by aggression. Fear is a primal response and power is the other side of that same coin, that, that response to I don't want to be afraid, so I've got to have power. I've got to be in charge. And that fear who then causes us to decide that God's on my side and not on your side, it, it's fear that, that says um, I can decide who I can reject. It allows me to decide who can or cannot be a Christ follower, who is God on the side of and who is not on the side of. But, you know, Joshua asked the wrong question of the commander of the Lord's armies. Whose side are you on, theirs or ours? We ask the wrong question when we try to make God choose which side he's on. We have no idea that the place we stand can be holy ground if we just stop trying to make God be on my side and start to understand that for anybody who can take this on board, this is the God who is with us. This is the God that is with me. Thousands of wars all over the planet, all over the centuries were based on one massive error, which is God is on our side. The Inquisition, you know, the Crusades, the people who went into places like Australia and Canada and America and took Indigenous children away from their families and shut them up in institutions and taught them to be maids and, and labourers. 
that's the thing that says I have to be in control and I'm going to do that for God. I'm, God's on my side. He, he loves those kids. He wants us to take them away from, from their families. You know, the God in whose image every person is created weeps for the hatred and the fear and the terror of his people. And it's ironic how many times people and groups have gone to war against each other, each of them serving the same God and each of them sure that that God is on their side and not the other side. Our Christianity is here, is so civilised, it's so middle class, so safe, so secure, so steady, but the beautiful lives we try to create for ourselves can never adequately reflect the God who left the grandeur of his home in glory to become one of us. And he wasn't born in a palace and he didn't hobnob with the rich and famous and he didn't drive a Lexus and he didn't have days out on his yacht or, or, or days sitting down to make sure that his investments were stable. The war on Christmas is real, but it's not about whether you say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. It's about whether we, the church, the people of God, will repent of our pride and prejudice and open up our arms to the whosoever because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does through anybody who understands this is holy ground. I don't really understand you. I don't really know where you're coming from. I don't really agree with what you're doing or who you are, but I know you're made in the image of God. And where we stand together, this is holy ground. I'm going to open my arms to you because I know Emmanuel, the God who is with us. I know him. And so therefore that gives me room and right to open my arms and welcome whoever, whosoever, because that's the meaning of Christmas. When the people of God understand that Emmanuel, the God who is with us, wants us to bring that same thing to other people. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about Jesus, he comes in the form of a beggar, of the dissolute human child clothed in rags. He confronts you in every person you meet. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbour. Peace on earth will only come through peace in each heart and that only comes through the peace of God that passes all our understanding, all our opinions, all the wounds of our hearts being brought to God. Emmanuel, the God who is with us, it's so easy for us to default to putting people on the other side of the fence, on the other side of forgiveness, on the other side of belonging. But Jesus didn't classify sin so that some sins were beyond the power of his salvation. But his church so easily defaults to that. And we forget Emmanuel, the Christmas God, the God who came to be with his people. That Reverend Munter Isaac, that Lutheran pastor that I quoted before, he says, Jesus is no stranger to pain arrest, torture and death. He walks with us in our pain. God is under the rubble in Gaza and Ukraine and India 
and Afghanistan and Israel and Russia and any other place that we care to name. He's with the frightened and the refugees. He's in the operating room. This is our consolation. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We make a mistake when we try to bring God down to our level, more centred on our belief system than we are on Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the God who is with us, Emmanuel. We are not called to save Christianity from the devil. That's just a lie out of hell that is just a fear-mongering thing. We call to this generation, if you are alive now, you're called to the people who are here now. You're not called to say what they shouldn't be. You're not called to say they can't belong because. We're called to the people out there, to addictions and, and brokenness and, and all the other things. I could just name so many things and you can as well. But we're called to a world suffering with trauma and with pain and with confusion and complete brokenness. And our task is not to judge people and find them wanting. Religion does that. God with us, Emmanuel, can be within each one of us to reach out to those he loves in the hope that they may find that love, feel that love, receive that love, respond to that love. And so in every generation, in season and out of season, in war or climate crisis or pandemic or disagreements about human rights and human loves, the clarion call to the church is to show the world Christ, the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And I'm just going to finish with this um, final quote. I mean, I've got a million quotes, so it's hard to narrow them down. But this was written in 1944, right, when the war was on. This is a dark time. In easier times, we left night out of the picture and made a light-hearted holiday of festival and merriment. But now we are back where Christmas started with its deep black background behind the Saviour's coming like midnight behind the star. When we stop our own human judgments and look for ways to embrace others in and through and by and because of the God who was with us, we will be amazed. We will be amazed at what God can do with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we feel completely like overwhelmed even at the thought of that but Lord I pray that you would help us one step at a time one person at a time one awareness that this is holy ground that I'm standing on and I can choose to shoot or I can choose to embrace Lord that you will enable us to be those who draw from you who, who get a hold of who you are who understand that you're not on our side because we're the Christians or where the Westerners, or where whatever, you want us to bring to the world around who are in night and darkness and brokenness, the, the light of the God who is with us and who wants to be with all of us. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.